All right. Give, give them another hand because if that doesn't get you excited in the morning, I don't know how to do it. So I'm not even going to pretend to follow that up. And I'm about to hand this mic to a very good new friend of ours. If you guys haven't had the chance to meet Evan yet, Evan is uh, kind of the, the lead guy and teacher for Propel, who is uh, you know, doing services here at 9 o'clock in the morning. They're looking for a place. They've been at the theater. Um, and just a great bunch of folks. We've had a lot of fun getting to know them, working with them, sharing our space with them. So if you haven't said, hey, take your time, get to know these folks. It is great to have them here. Um, and so we're going to bring Evan up, and he's going to share with you a message series that he's been doing um, about taking next steps and moving forward. Um, and so if you guys, you know, give him a big hand, because he's got to follow the band. <laughs> Thank you. Can I, um, just before I start, um, I just, I just want to tell you guys that God is pleased with you. I, I've sensed that as we were just worshiping, thank you, as we were just worshiping, I just, I sensed that even more strongly that as a church, God is pleased with you. And then individually, God is pleased with you. If this is your first time here or you're new here, I am not Doug. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I, I just, I can't get away from that phrase with you all, that God is pleased with you. I've pastored for 11, 12 years, and I know that for those of you who are faithful and you come here and you serve here and you're here every Sunday and you're here on Wednesdays and you're helping out wherever you can, that sometimes it, you lose sight of the truth that God is pleased with you. you. You see the everyday movements, but you don't often step back and see the big picture of what God is doing in your life and in those around you. And you may look at attendance or you may look at, you know, how many people are in discipleship one or discipleship two or whatever. You may look at all these different things and you lose sight of the fact that God is pleased with you. You come every Sunday, you serve, you do all these things, but you know the things that aren't right in your life and you lose sight of the fact that God is He's pleased with you. I, I, don't, I, I have a message, and I want to get to it, and I want to do all the things and honor Doug and all that, but I want to just start. I want you guys to know God is He's pleased with you. Individually, he's pleased with you. Corporately, three taverns, God is pleased with what you guys are allowing him to do here at three taverns. So not just on behalf of propel church, but just this community and the kingdom of God, I just want to start by saying thank you to all of you for all that you do, all that you, you know, supply and all that you contribute to Three Taverns and what God is doing here. We are at Propel, we are so very thankful for each of you and for your leadership and your team. Y'all are absolutely amazing. When, when I talked to Doug about us possibly meeting here, we, we sat right back there in, I don't know, one of those comfortable chairs, and I went through this whole thing. I said, Doug, you know, we're, here's where we're at, and we're looking for a space that we could build a 
Propel Center where we can serve the community seven days a week and we can meet in there. And, but in the meantime, we're meeting in this movie theater. And, and, man, we just really would love a church space that feels more like church. And he sat over there and, and, and he said, okay, first of all, like, yes, this isn't our space. This is God's space. Absolutely, you can use it. Now let's talk. And we talk for another hour about other stuff. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> right? Y'all know Doug. That's kind of the way he is. Um, but ever since then, I was like, I don't really know how all of this is going to go. I don't know how welcoming you guys will be. I don't know how this will fit and it will work. And can I just say that our team and our church, we are blown away by you guys' love and your hospitality and your welcoming us and your excellence. It is, it is inspiring. Thank you guys so much. Um, and so we, we are very thankful. Uh, I'm very thankful to Doug and, um, and Jamie, and I know there's a whole bunch more on this awesome team. I've worked more closely with Doug and Jamie, so I just want to say thank you to you guys for allowing us to do this and, and giving me the opportunity to, to, to not take question and answers, because I am not, I was here last week, and I was like, I am not Doug. And so if you guys wanted me to do that today, then um, thank you for coming. Worship was amazing. I pray God gave you everything that you wanted, and God bless you, because this is not about to be that. <laughs> How he keeps all that straight in his mind, I have no idea, because he's answering a question, then he goes over here, and then he goes over here, and then he comes back, and you're like, what are we talking about? And then he answers the question. I, I am not that smart. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, so today will be a, a little bit different, but I pray it'll be a blessing to you. Let me, let me go ahead and, and pray. If you guys wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and closing your eyes. God, we thank you so much for your presence in this place. We thank you that we can and we will and we do believe what you say about us. If you said it, God, we believe it. We believe it above all of our wisdom, all of our intellect, all of our experiences. God, we believe it above what everybody in society and culture says. We believe what you say because you are the giver of truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, God, we we anchor ourselves to you. We trust in you. We believe what you say, God, and we are who you say we are. And God, we thank you that you are pleased with us. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. And I just pray your peace and your blessings rest on each of them and rest on them corporately. As we open your word today, God, I pray that you would speak through me exactly what you need us to hear, that we would hear it, that we would understand it, but most importantly, we'd know how to apply your word to our lives. God, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin today in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to go through the, the story of David. Not all of the story, but a lot of the story. Um, and so we're, we're going to begin in 1 Samuel 16. I want to give you a little bit about me, a little bit about my resume. And um, it's for the purpose of the sermon, not for the purpose of, hey, let me tell you about me. I, I love it. Don't you love it when pastors and speakers do that? They give you 20 minutes about them, and you're like, I don't care. But, but, but if it makes you feel better, okay. This is a part of the sermon. So I grew up in Woodstock. Um, didn't grow, go to church at all growing up, but I got a basketball scholarship to play basketball at Oral Roberts University, if you can believe that. I was no taller then than I am now. I was a little skinnier, a lot skinnier maybe, but I was no taller then than, than I am now. And uh, went there, played basketball, stayed there, coached basketball there. Then I moved back here, moved back home, 
and uh, had a couple jobs. I worked for as a financial advisor, and then I worked at Bank of America, and then I got back into coaching and coached at Kennesaw State uh, for a few years. Then I went back to Bank of America, and I know this is, just stay with me, just stay with me. I was working at Bank of America, and I was um, in a church service at our home church. Me and my wife, we were married, and we were serving at our church, but we weren't ministers or anything. We had been through a ministry school, but we were just serving at our church. And the founder of our church had a 10,000-member church in Detroit. He'd started churches all over the world, and he came to preach one Sunday, and he comes in, and, and essentially um, he had offered me a job. And I was just serving there. And he had offered me a job to go work at his church, his 10,000-member church in Detroit. Now, I'm from Woodstock. Only place I've ever lived in my life is Woodstock and Tulsa, Oklahoma. He offers me a job to go work in Detroit. And, and we're sitting there in his office, and, I, and he says, hey, Evan, you know, I got this ministerial spot open. I need, I need to know three things. I need to know if you're interested in ministry, if you're interested in moving to Detroit, and then we train you up and we send you out. And so then I'd be interested to know if you're interested in moving after that. I said, well, sir, I'm interested in ministry. I'm from Georgia. There's no way in the world I'm interested in moving to Detroit. You might as well be sending me to, to Iraq. I mean, Detroit, Iraq, kind of the same thing to me as a country boy from Woodstock, right? And I was like, so I guess I'd be really interested in moving somewhere after that. And I'm thinking, okay, it's over. There's no way he's going to hire me. Like, I just told this man that I have zero interest in moving to Detroit. He sits back, and he's this guy who, like, he commands a room. Y'all know these people, right? He walks in, and everybody just knows that he's there. He sits back. He folds his arms. He's got this big, nice office. And then he just starts talking to me like I never said it. And so he offers me a job. I, I actually tell him no. He comes to preach at our church, and me and my wife were sitting on the front row. He walks in, and he says, hey, I heard that you don't want to come work for us, and that's fine. Just, just know that if God's called you into ministry, you need to be in ministry. And I'm like, yes, sir, you know. And, and so he comes up. He preaches his message. He's done. He's walking off the stage, and he's walking out to the office. He gets all the way to the door. He touches the door, and as soon as he touches the door, he stops. And as soon as he stops, I'm like, oh. I know it's about to happen. He turns around, he walks over to us, and he says, listen, I believe that God has called you into ministry, and you need to be in ministry. Like, you don't have to come work for me, but you need to be in ministry. You can't run from what God called you to do. And as soon as he's saying it, like, the Spirit of God is just all over me, and I just know that I was supposed to say yes, but I already said no, and my wife is sitting there, and she's crying, and I'm, I got allergies, Right. And so I, I want to just say, God, no, sir, we'll come work for you. We'll move to Detroit. And I just let him. I played it cool. And then I called him back and then called him back the next day. And, and he hired me and I went to work in Detroit. And he, here's what happened. I was working at the bank, though. So I had two weeks. I had to give the bank two weeks notice. And do you know that working at the bank, when you know that you're about to go work in ministry full-time, like you're about to take this big next step in your life, you're about to fulfill a calling that you believe God has on your life, you're about to step into a, a deeper level of your purpose, do you know that those two weeks at the bank were the most difficult two weeks of my entire life? Do you know how long those two weeks were? I don't know if y'all can relate to this, but you know that you're done with this, but you have to go back 12 more times, like six days a week for two weeks. Like you have to go back. Every day I went to the bank and I came home and I asked my wife, can I please just not go back? 
Just, just not go back. Like, just, just stay home tomorrow. I'll pack the house. I'll do whatever. I'll cut the grass. I'll do, just please don't. And she was like, well, you know, you told them you'd give them two weeks. And you're going into ministry. Shouldn't you keep your word? Okay, I guess you're right. But that was the longest two weeks of my life because I already knew what my next step was. But I had to finish my last step well. See, there's so many people that they're, they're all about their next step. They're excited about their next step. They want to know, God, what's next? What's next? What's next? And in doing that, we lose sight of what's now. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel was a prophet, How long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send to you. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. This, this begins kind of the story of David, a very Christian famous story. Here you have Samuel, this prophet, and the king, um, <laughs> the, the Lord has left the king, and there needs to be a new king. And, and God's like, hey, I'm going to send you to this guy, Jesse, and you're going to find the new king there. And so Samuel, being a good man of God, he goes, he finds Jesse, he goes to Jesse, and and Jesse has these sons, and Jesse obviously knows he's coming, and so Jesse begins to bring out his sons so that this prophet can figure out which one is the king. And so he brings out the first, the oldest, which at this point, in this custom, in this time, this would have been the logical choice. Y'all know the logical choices, right? The tall, dark, and handsome, the educated, the, the well-spoken, the, the obvious Choice. Well, and this time it was the oldest, and so um, Samuel brings out the oldest, and and Samuel's looking at this, and and he's like, no, that's not the one God wants. That's not the next king. And so Jesse's like, okay, okay, no problem. And so he brings out his second oldest, and and Samuel's like, yeah, no, that's not. Him. He brings out the third, and brings out the fourth. I love the way that the Bible talks about this. It's like they just paraded in front of him, and I don't know what this was like. I don't know. My wife is actually won a, a couple beauty pageants. So I've been to beauty pageants and I don't know if this is like a, you know, like a stroll in your, in your evening wear, in your best suit, in your tuxedo. I don't know how this worked. But he's strolling these sons out and one by one, the prophet's like, nope, not it, not it, not it, not it. He goes through six sons, six sons that were there to be determined of who the king was and wasn't there. And then you get to, to verse 10, and it says, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Because I know God told me that the next king was among your sons, and you've shown me these sons, and I know that none of these are it. Are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So here he has one more son, this youngest son, this, this son that we know as David. And David is not even in the picture. David is not even a consideration. David is out in the field tending to the sheep. He's out in the mud. He's out, he's out doing the dirty work. He's out doing the work that all of his brothers would not do or could not do or they were above that. Maybe they'd done it in the past. Maybe they'd already done it. But now that was beneath them. And he had this one young son that was out doing what he was supposed to be doing. 
doing his assignment, the thing that wasn't glamorous, the thing that wasn't profitable, that didn't give him a title, that didn't put him in, it didn't even put him in a position where his own dad would have him considered for this amazing next step to be the king. He's out keeping the sheep. They bring him in. And in verse 13, it says that Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Here they bring him in. Verse before that, it says he was ready. He was small, but he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. I don't know why we need to know that, but... I kind of relate to David because he's the youngest. I'm the youngest, and him and Zacchaeus, I relate to them. Oh, wait, this is three taverns. Y'all are like, y'all read the Bible every month all the way through, Genesis to Revelation, right? Y'all remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was the wee little man. He was a little guy who had to go up in the tree so he could see Jesus. I re- oh, man, okay. Y'all got to get to know me a little better. I don't have Doug's humor. I have my own. All right, so, so, so David, the youngest, I don't know why we're told that he was small and had beautiful eyes and was handsome, but, but he was, and he wasn't even considered. And when he comes, the Lord is like, that is him. That's him. And he's anointed. He's, he's proclaimed that he will be the king. And it says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. This is, this is powerful. This is a, a, a very powerful spiritual moment. And if you are like me, then we would think, okay, now David is king. And the next verse should be how he began to rule and how he began to reign. Like, this should be a straight line from God says you're the king to you being the king. And this is where I think a lot of us Christians, we get it mixed up. God reveals to us what the next step is, but he doesn't yet reveal to us when the next step will be. And so we know that the next step is this, but we don't know when we're supposed to take it. And, and not you guys and not Propel, but other Christians, what they do is they know the next step. They don't know when, but they don't care when. They take it in their own hands and they make it now. And so God's like, you're going to be king. And they're like, okay, well, I'm king. I'm going to start acting like king. I'm going to start speaking like king. I'm going to start doing things that kings would do. And God's like, it's not even time yet. But you've stepped out and made yourself something that you will be, but it's not yet for now. This is, this is, so do y'all remember? And I think I can do this with y'all because y'all are, this is a Bible taught church. Y'all are amazing. I have such respect for you guys. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the garden and Satan comes to him and he's like, hey, you're hungry. (laughs) Duh. He's been fasting for 40 days. Of course he's hungry. He's like, hey, you're hungry. This thing that you need, this thing that you want, here's stones. Why don't you just turn those stones into bread? We all know Jesus could have turned those stones into bread. He absolutely could have. And he probably, if he's anything like me, which the Bible says the, uh, we are, we are, he's tempted in every way just like I am. He's probably tempted to. Because he was hungry. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. That's a good idea. There's stone. I can turn it into bread. I can be fed. You know what we'd call that? A blessing from the Lord. But God didn't tell him to do that. It wasn't time for him to have bread yet. See, then, then he comes back to him and he's like, hey, throw yourself off of this cliff. The angels will catch you. And, and Jesus is like, look, no, man, no, that's not. No. And then he's like, okay, okay. Well, 
if you'll just bow down and worship me, then I'll give you all of this. And Jesus says, you know, be gone, Satan. But what's happening in those three temptations? This is not a part of my message, so sorry about the scriptures. I didn't tell them this. What's happening? Satan is tempting Jesus to get ahead of God. See, right after Jesus sends the devil away, the angels bring him food. The Bible says they minister to him. Don't you think the angels' food is probably pretty good? Right? So, so he could have turned the stones into bread. He could have settled for that. But if he waits on God, he gets food from angels. He could have jumped off of that cliff, and he would not have died. He was Jesus. But he waited on God, and God protected him through the crowds that tried to kill him and throw him off the cliff, through all the things that he went through until he was ready to lay his life down. And when he, even when he laid his life down, he was actually protected because, spoiler alert, he came back, and he's still alive. <laughs> right? Satan tempted him. Satan tempted him with having rule over everything which Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He already has it. It just wasn't in that timing for that moment. Can I tell you this? That there's so many Christians, so many of us, that settle for turning stones into bread when if we just wait, we'll get fed by angels. God's already promised you that in the next steps, in the things that he has for you, that he knows the end from the beginning. He has a plan, and that plan is good. It is for, for you and is to prosper you. Like, we just need to make sure we don't get ahead of God. And so many times when we're talking about our next steps, we hear that we're anointed king, and then we begin to step out, and we make the kingship happen on our own. But that's not what happens here. Saul um, begins to be tormented by these spirits, and the solution is, is to have somebody play a harp, uh, this lyre, to be able to, to calm those spirits. And so Saul's like, he's going through this, and he's trying to figure it out. He doesn't have anybody there, and he starts asking around, and one of his servants says, hey, I know somebody that can play a harp, that can play the lyre, and that could help you with this. And I'm like, what? That? David, David. And so they go get David, and David goes, and he begins to, to play this harp for, uh, for Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 19, it says this, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Who's with the sheep? And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hands. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Remember, remember, David was already said to be king. But we're told when they went to go get David, he was back with the sheep. but he's king, but he's a shepherd. Okay, I got it. Maybe you're king, but you got to wait. You got to wait a little bit, and you keep being a shepherd. Cool, I understand that. We can relate to that. But the next step should be being a king. God said it. I may have to be patient, but if he said it, I believe it. That next step should be a kingship. But actually, the next step was playing a harp and being an armor bearer. Like, what? How does those connect? God, how, how, how are you going to? That doesn't even make sense. Do you know how many Christians would have said no to playing the harp and being the armor bearer because they were told they were going to be a king? 
You know how many Christians wouldn't have went back to tend the sheep because they told they were going to be a king? They're so excited about their next step and what God's going to do in the future and how God's going to bless them and what they're going to have that they stop being faithful in their current step. They stop working excellently in the thing that God has them doing right now in this season. They're so excited about the next season that they're not finishing this season. But David didn't do that. David was with the sheep. They had to get him away from the sheep, and then they had him playing this harp. (laughs) I don't know how to connect that. If you want to talk about the squiggly lines of life, right? Like you think king, straight line to king is not the case. It's king, harp player. What? That, that, is a, that is such a left turn. It doesn't make any sense. Well, David's brothers, they were soldiers, and they were soldiers in the army, and, and there was going to be this battle between Israel and, and, and Philistine. And Fi- I struggle with some of the names. The Philistines, we'll just say it that way. And so the, the Philistines, they're like, hey, you know what? Instead of this massive bloodshed and all these armies going back and forth, we're going to send you Goliath. Goliath is going to go out into this valley, and if you have anybody that can beat Goliath, then we will be your servants. But if Goliath kills your guy, then you will be our servants. And so they send Goliath out, and all the soldiers are there, and David's brothers are, are still in the mix of soldiers, but the soldiers are scared of Goliath. They're terrified of Goliath. They see this big guy, and he's talking junk, and he's telling them that they can't beat him, and, I mean, he's mocking them. He's mocking their God, and they're all just sitting there, and they're all just terrified. Now, most of you know this story. It's very Christian famous, but you may not know some of the details of this story. See, David was still tending the sheep. He was still doing the last thing that God had him doing. He was still doing his current assignment. And and David's dad told him to go bring some food to his brothers because they're over there scared. Their thing is being a soldier, big tough guy, but they're scared. And so they're they're sitting over there, and David's bringing him food. and, And David hears Goliath mocking them and challenging them. Now, actually, when you go through and read it, this didn't just happen once. This happened multiple times. Goliath was out there for like 40 days, like mocking them and talking junk to them, and they're all sitting back scared. And so David is like, you know what? Enough of this. Hey, I'll go fight the guy. I'll take him on. And so we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, this is the oldest, this would have been the first one in the beauty pageant. This would have been the first one that comes across Samuel. This would have been the one that would have been expected to be the king. He would have expected it. His dad surely expected it. All his brothers expected it. That guy, he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. I wonder why. He had a little jealousy there, and he said, Why have you come down? Now, listen to this. And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to settle the battle. We could probably do a whole sermon series on jealousy right there in that verse. Let me just sum that up. Don't be jealous. What God has for you is for you. Don't worry about what anybody else has or what what they're doing or what they're not doing and what they have, don't have all that. God is with you. you. You follow your assignment. But here he says, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Now, I don't know if his older brother's just kind of taking a dig at him or David actually only has a few sheep. But think about this. David is king. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Surely he thinks he's about to be king. And then he becomes a harp player. And then he becomes an armor bearer. 
and he's still with the sheep. And maybe those sheep have dwindled down, or maybe he never had a whole lot of sheep. But do you know how hard it would be to every day wake up and go out in the field with just a few sheep knowing that you are called to be a king? You know how much patience that must take? Do you know what it really boils down to? It boils down to a trust and a love for God that is unmatched. Something that would be said as like a man after God's own heart. Because I, I know why y'all are looking at me like this. And don't worry, I won't be back next Sunday to preach to you. Doug will be back. And you'll be able to ask your questions and get the really intellectual, deep, theological answers that knock your socks off. And I can't wait. It's going to be a blessing for you guys. But you're stuck with me right now for this moment. And I get it. I know why you're looking at me because we all know this is next to impossible. This is difficult. Some of you are sitting here and you feel like you are in that very season where you're going out every day and you're tending to a few sheep. And you're confused and you're frustrated because you know God has called you to be a king, a queen, an entrepreneur, a boss, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, whatever those things are. And you're stuck in the frustration of this step, so excited about the next step that you're blinded to this assignment. I get it. I've been there. It wasn't just those two weeks at the bank. There's been seasons in my life where it's like, God, we could have we finished this a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. God, we never could have, we could have skipped this whole process. I'm not a harp player. How am I going to go play a harp? I don't, I don't know how to play a harp. How long do you want me to play a harp? I have no rhythm. Zero. I have to watch people on stage to clap and sing at the same time. Like, that is not, like, I, I can't. Let me say it another way. My wife, when we were in college, we dated, and she thought it would be a good idea to show up in one of my classes when I was giving a presentation. And so I go up, and I stand up. I got to talk in front of the class. I don't know. There's probably 100 people in the class, and I see her in the back. And you know what happened when I saw her in the back? My nerves that were already on 100 went to 1,000. The sweat that was running down my face before I saw her just tripled. I mean, the, the, the stuttering that started that I was trying to overcome, like it had no chance. I, it was the worst. Pre she says it's the worst culmination of words she's ever heard in her entire life. Like it made no sense. It was stuttering. I was sweating. I was, it was awful. I mean, beat red. It was terrible. Unbelievably bad. And if God at that time would have said, hey, Evan, you're going to be a pastor. <laughs> what? Absolutely not. No way. There's so many things that you're going through right now that you have no idea how they're setting you up for what you will go through in your future. And the key is, can you keep tending the few sheep? Can you be faithful with the few sheep. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. This idea of being faithful over a little is a prerequisite for God putting you over much. 
It's a biblical principle that we all have to grab a hold of and we all have to trust in because it's going to require one of the main Christian cuss words, which is patience. I don't know what y'all were thinking, but it's patience. Patience. Don't get in a hurry to take that next step. Take it when God tells you to take it, but here's, you know what we actually do? We begin to idolize the next step. We begin to think that all of our problems go away with the next step. Everything becomes so much better with the next step. And here's what's happened. I've taken many next steps in my life, and here's what I've found. Every time you take a next step, Jesus is there with you, and it's amazing. But you know who else is there? You're there. And if you don't have peace in this step, it's going to be really difficult for you to have peace in your next step. If you don't, if you don't have spiritual disciplines in this step, they're not automatically going to come in the next step. If you don't manage your, your, your resources and your money well in this step, even though there's more in the next step, you're going to look up and you're not going to have more just because you made more. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 says this. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. No matter what season you're in, no matter what step you're in, do it with everything that you have as unto the Lord, not unto men. And I don't just mean other men, I mean yourself. Because you you can work so hard for that next step that that's your real motivation and you're not actually doing it to the Lord and then it becomes an idol and then whenever you get it, you're never satisfied. Or you never get it and you're extremely frustrated. So Saul hears about David's courage, and he calls for him. He tells him that he's too young to fight Goliath. And then we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. It says this, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you now. Don't read your Bible too fast. I know you've heard this before, but if you stop and really think about this, this is absolutely amazing. This is transformational. This is life changing. What David is saying here is that I'm ready to take this next step. I'm ready to fight Goliath, this challenge that God has put in front of me, this thing that God clearly wants me to do and wants me to accomplish. But let me tell you where I'm going to get the courage to be able to take that next step. Let me tell you where the skill set to be able to win this next step is going to come from. It's going to come from me being faithful and excellent in my last step. Because in my last step, I not only tended to a few sheep and played a harp, but I actually took my sheep out of the mouth of a lion and a bear? Like, hold on, time out. What? Listen, David was the youngest son. 
He's watching sheep. If a lion or a bear come, I'm out. Those aren't even my sheep. I'm out. Even if they were my sheep, my sheep or my life, I'm out. I'm done. But much less the lion and the bear gets the sheep in its mouth. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to stick around to see how that sheep dies. I mean, maybe y'all are tougher than me. You got more faith than me. A lot of y'all are stronger than me. I get that. I understand that. But look, I am out. I'm done. I am nowhere to be found. The lion means business. The bear means business. And I don't, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. They're not even my sheep. Let me say it a different way. You're, you're working at a store somewhere. And um, let, let, let me not put it on you guys. This, this was interesting. I went to I, I went to run last week, and I'm I go in and <laughs> go into the gas station to just get me a large Powerade before I get home. And I walk in, and I don't know why I did this, but I I looked in my console and I got some change out. So I had change. I had like two dollars in change, like quarters and dimes, and I, I don't even know if people still pay with that stuff anymore. But I walk in, and I fill up the big thing of Gatorade, and I, and I got this change. And there's a guy behind the counter, and he sees my change. And he looks at me, and he's like, man, just, just go on, man. It's, just, <laughs> just, it's yours, man. Just take the Gatorade. Like, I, don't, he, I, don't, I don't think he wanted to count the change. I don't know. Maybe he didn't know how to open the register because, you know, everything's with a card now. I don't, I don't know why. But he was just like, man, just go ahead. Just don't even – it's not even worth our time trying to – Count in dimes and nickels and quarters. And I walked out of there, and I, I felt, this may sound weird. Y'all may judge me. But again, I'm not back next week, so it's fine. You can think whatever you want. I, I felt weird about it. On one hand, I was like, oh, you know, it's $1.75. Thank you, Lord. You just blessed me with a $1.75 power. And the other hand, I'm thinking, like, I'm, I'm stealing right now. I am walking out as a, as a thief. If they, I know they have cameras. I'm, like, looking around. Is there police in the in the parking lot because I just stole a $1.75 Powerade. Like, is this a blessing or is it theft? I, I, don't, I didn't know how to reconcile this. I don't know what to do with it. Like, he told me I could have it. But then I started thinking, you know, he told me I could have it because he don't care about that Gatorade. That wasn't his Gatorade. That wasn't $1.75 out of his pocket. That wasn't costing him his job. You know how easy it is to do that when it's not yours? You know how easy it would have been for David to be like, <laughs> Lion, you win. Bear, congratulations. Dad, forgive me. And what dad is not going to forgive you? You can't beat a lion or a bear. But David, he, he has a different mindset. His mindset is this is the assignment that God has given me for this time and for this season, and I am going to do it with everything that I have. I'm going to do it with all my ability, with all my intellect, with all my courage, with all my skill, ultimately trusting God with everything. I'm going to trust God so much that I'm going to run towards a bear to snatch a sheep out of its mouth. And, and he did it, and he won, and he killed the lions and the bears. And so when it comes time for Goliath, he's like, who is this? Who is this? My God has already delivered me from the lions and the bears. This is just some big dude. And, and, and I, don't have, I don't have time for this, but actually I believe that the story of David and Goliath is actually misinterpreted. So often it's, I don't, I don't actually believe that it's a story about the the little underdog beating the giant. I don't believe that. I think when you actually go and you 
read it and you study it out, David was a really good, what we would call marksman, sharpshooter. He used the slingshot, right? Well, Goliath was a big guy. So in those times, you really had three different types of soldiers, fighters. You had Goliaths who fought with their hands. You had the slingshot guys, the marksmen. The, um, but you also had these, these soldiers and these fighters who rode on horses. And so what would happen is if somebody who rode on a horse was in battle with somebody who fought with their fist, the guy with the fist could, could win because if you get the horse down, now you got to fight hand to hand right? But the one that was the slingshot, the marksman, he never got close enough to get hand-to-hand. So it didn't matter how big and strong you were. His, his way of fighting was from a distance. So actually, I, I, I believe, and especially when you study this out, David was favored in this matchup, which you probably never heard that before, and it may be messing with your theology. And if Doug teaches something different, then study it for yourself. That's what he... Read your own Bible, right? Right? And, and, and it's not that deep, but, but the point is, David had confidence in the skill set that he had already established in his previous step. As he's taken this new step, going on this new journey, he already knew how to work his slingshot. That's why when Saul tries to give him his armor, he doesn't take it, because he's not going to fight hand to hand. It's not just that it didn't fit. It didn't fit, but it didn't fit also because he didn't use that kind of armor. He used the slingshot arm. That's not the point. So, so, so David, David, um, he goes, he, he defeats Goliath. You guys know that. It's amazing. Um, so he's been anointed king. He's played the harp. He's been an armor bearer, and he stepped into this. Oh, he was delivering food to his brother, so he was a DoorDash Uber deliverer, too, at the same time, right? Like, you want to talk about these squiggly lines? I thought you were king, it's not until 2 Samuel chapter 5, which a lot of theologians and people who study this much better than I do say it was about 10 to 15 years after, uh, after Samuel comes and, and says that David is going to be king. It's 10 to 15 years before we get to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3, which says this. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. And so here was David 10 years, 15 years, some amount of time, some significant amount of time before he actually became king, that he was anointed king. It took him that long to get there. And on that trail, harp player, armor bearer, DoorDash deliverer, soldier, warrior, giant, killer, but he was faithful in every single one of those steps. When you keep reading about him, you keep reading about he went back to doing the last thing God assigned him to do, keeping the sheep, keeping the sheep. He was faithful in keeping the sheep, keeping the sheep. He was excellent in keeping the sheep, keeping the sheep. He did not rush his next step. So when he became king, He was ready because he was faithful in keeping the sheep. You know, the best way to prepare for your next step is to be great in your current step. 
the number one thing you can do to, to follow God and, 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 and take those next steps and be all that he wants you to be is to be faithful where you are, to be excellent where you are, to not look at your few sheep and say, I'm a king. I don't got to care about few sheep. I'm about to be a king. To look at a lion or a bear, anything that comes against you and say, that's too big and that's too scary and that's too tough for me. These aren't even mine. I'm, I'm a king. But to say, I trust God. I'm doing this for God so much that every ounce, every moment, every day is about serving him with all that I am and all that I have. There was one time where David didn't do this. It was one time where, where David wasn't where he was supposed to be and he didn't do what he was supposed to be in his current step. And that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to read a few verses and this will be my first close. We'll see how many closes I have. This will be my first one though and maybe my last one. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. Now remember David was already king at this point. David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbath, but David remained at Jerusalem. Wait, what? David is kind of the example for doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it, for being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. But now we read that it was the time of the year when the kings go out to battle. So David should be leaving his home and he should be going out to battle. It's that time, but David sends other people. In verse 2 it says, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. <laughs> if I didn't relate to David by being the youngest, I sure relate to David with this. Like, And it's a lazy afternoon. Where are you going to find me? You're going to find me on the couch. Especially starting next week when the Falcons are on. If you want to know where I'm at on Sundays at 1 o'clock, I'm either at Mercedes-Benz Stadium because somebody blessed me with a ticket because I surely didn't buy it on my own. Or I'm, I'm, I'm laying on the couch. David's supposed to be out at battle. He's on the couch. But he gets up off the couch. He was walking on the roof of the king's house, which actually wasn't uncommon for this day and time. And that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. I don't think the Bible needs to say this next part, but it does. And the woman was very beautiful. I don't know how many women that would live near the king would be out bathing naked and wouldn't be very beautiful, but she's, she's very beautiful. We're told that she's very beautiful. Now, what's happening here? David is not being faithful and excellent in his current step. Because if he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, he wouldn't even be there. He would be out at war. He would be out at battle. He would be fighting. He would be leading. He would be doing what he's supposed to be doing. But he makes a mistake. And because he makes a mistake, not only is he not where he's supposed to be, but now he's facing temptation that he was never designed to face. He, he's coming against a, a temptation in his life that he had no business even fighting with. And I, I don't even have to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been there, because if you didn't raise your hand, we'll pray for you up here. We'll make this an altar, and we'll, we'll pray for all the liars up here, because uh, we've all been there. Where we're facing a temptation 
Simply because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're not faithful where we're supposed to be. We're not operating with excellence where we're supposed to be in this current step. And he finds himself looking at this woman who's very beautiful. In verse 3 it says, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the, the wife of Uri the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and then she returned to her house. This means what you think it means. I'm not going to explain anything about what this means. Not because of y'all, because my mom is here, and I don't care how old I am. This is as much as I'm going to talk about any of this in the presence of my mom. <laughs> if you genuinely don't know what this is talking about here, talk to me afterwards, after my mom has left, and I'll probably be in the lobby, and we, we can, I can explain a little more if you need to explain it, but, but it means what you think it means. And here is this man who is a man after God's own heart, who is an example to us in Scripture, who gets to a place where he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing in his current step, and he damages his future. If you know the story, they, Bathsheba actually becomes pregnant. She has a child, and that child dies. I mean, there is real consequence for sin. There is real consequence for not being faithful and excellent in your current assignments, in your current purpose, in your current step. There are real consequences and it may not I pray to the Lord it is not any of your children ever dying but there will be people somebody's children that will be affected by you not being faithful in your current assignment in your current step I feel like I'm so far out of time but I'm almost done see what God has you doing now, what he's asking you to be faithful with now, what he's asking you to be excellent with now, what he's asking you to be courageous with now, isn't just about you. It's connected to the lives and the eternities of other people. So if you get lazy and stay on your couch when you're supposed to be out at battle, if you get caught up in looking at things you shouldn't be looking at when you're supposed to be out at battle, it's not just going to affect you. It's going to impact those around you, those God has called you to reach, those God has put in your path for you to be a light to, for those that you're supposed to love and those that you're supposed to tell about Jesus, those you're supposed to sharpen each other, those that are supposed to sharpen you. It's not just about you. David messes up, and it cost him a child. And I know we've all messed up, and it's costed us. There's real payments that need to be made. But you know, David's story doesn't end here, and I'd love to preach the rest of it to you, but I can tell by the way you're looking at me and the way you're sitting that y'all want no part of that. Y'all are ready to go get a cheeseburger from somewhere. But the next part of David's story is he actually has another son that you might have heard of named Solomon, who God uses in amazing ways, so much so that Jesus even comes through that lineage. 
So no matter how bad you've messed up this step and you think you've destroyed the next step, God has a path of redemption. God has a way of redemption. God has a a way of restoration for you. No matter what you've done up until this point, God still loves you. He's still with you. He can restore you. He can redeem the time. He can make it as if it never even happened. You can go into the fiery furnace and you can come out not even smelling like smoke. You can find yourself in the lion's den, but their mouths are shut. You can get out of whatever it is that you're in, that you're wrapped up in and it may cost you and it may hurt and it may be difficult and it may require some patience but ultimately at the end God has plans for you and those plans are good they are to prosper you they are for your benefit and for his benefit and you are not able and strong enough and smart enough to stop God what we have to do is make sure we're faithful And we're excellent in our current step so that we're prepared for our next step. I I worked at the bank, and those two weeks were the longest two weeks, feels like, of my life. Then I go, and I start working at this church, and um, I worked there for a couple years, and they sent us to Austin, Texas, and I was an assistant pastor for about a year and a half. And then he turned that church over to me, and I pastored that church for almost 10 years. And so I look at the point when I'm coaching basketball and I'm working at a bank and I'm like, I don't understand how playing basketball helped me. I don't understand how being a financial advisor helped me. Like, uh, this doesn't make any sense. And then I go into ministry and I'm a working on staff at a big, large church. I'm like, I don't understand how this is helping me. And I go to be an assistant pastor. I'm like, okay, I guess this makes a little more sense. I know I'm supposed to be a pastor, so I guess this makes a little more sense. But it wasn't until I began pastoring that I was then able to then turn around and look at all the things in my past and say, oh, wow, playing basketball taught me these things that I now need as a pastor. Coaching basketball taught me these things that I now need as a pastor. Working at a bank taught me these things that I now need as a pastor. See, most of the time, your next step is fuzzy because you might go be a heart player and a warrior and an armor bearer and a door dash deliverer. And it's not until you get to the end or at some point in the future that you're able to look back and you're going to say, oh, now I understand. Because God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste a season of your life. He doesn't waste a moment of your life. And so let that encourage you. Let that challenge you and inspire you to be faithful and excellent because whatever you're doing right now, it will prepare you and it will propel you into what you will be doing in the future. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. For your word is alive. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It gets down to the deepest parts of us. And so, God, I pray that this morning as we've heard your word, that we've understood it. And God, I pray that as you've spoken to each of us what we should do with your word, that we will be faithful and obedient to do it, especially when we don't want to and when we don't feel like it. That God, we'll be faithful in this step, whether we can see what the next step is or how this will affect the next step, that God, we'll be faithful here and now, in this moment, in this season, in this step with these assignments. God, give us the trust to be able to take a left turn and play the harp when you ask us to play the harp. Give us the courage to fight Goliath when you bring him, when he's brought against us. 
God, give us the humility to be patient before our kingship. But God, help us to never lose sight of you and find ourselves roaming on the rooftop. Not being where you've asked us to be and doing what you've asked us to do. But God, when we go there, because we all fall short, we thank you that you forgive us and you make us right. God, search our hearts, know our thoughts, point out anything in us that is not like you, and lead us along that path of everlasting life. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.